Good morning, familia. Before we start, I want to invite you, if you have one of these little booklets here, if you like to take notes, you could take notes either in page uh, 15 or page 19. What I'm doing today is actually grabbing two sermons, and I'm going to try to turn it into one. All right, so we're going to be here for a couple of hours, I believe. Could you please stand uh, for the reading of God's Word? We're going to be reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 24. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 24. Do not think that I, that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Verse 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, verse 24, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. This is the word of the Lord. God, please speak to us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart may be pleasing to you. And the church says, you may be seated. Today we continue with our series, Upside Down Kingdom which is a set of teachings uh, Jesus gave his disciples, um, known as the Sermon on the Mount. This set of teachings uh, is significant because Jesus, Jesus is instructing his disciples on how to become people that live in this world, but live different. How, do, how his disciples would live in such a way that their lifestyle... Will God will use to bring heaven to earth. Now, the text we read today is really interesting because Jesus is going to tell us that in order for anyone to be able to live like that in this world, we need a very high view of Scripture. What, what Jesus is going to teach us that unless we embrace the word of God, the law of God, as what it is, we will never be able to live like that. And he's going to tell us three things about the word of God here. 
Number one, that the word of God reveals God's heart. Number two, that the word of God exposes our heart. And number three, that the word of God or the law of God points to our need of a savior. In other words, points to Jesus. The law of God or the word of God reveals God's heart, exposes our heart, and points to Jesus. Let's go with the first one. The word of God reveals God's heart. Notice here how Jesus starts this section. Verse 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, when Jesus is using the phrase law or the prophets, he is talking about the Old Testament at that time because that is the only thing they have. But if we use it in our setting right now, when Jesus is talking about the law or the prophets, he's talking about the word of God in general. He is saying that the law of God is God's word and the prophets is God's word. And he wants his audience to understand that he is not in the business of getting rid of the Old Testament to abolish it, but that he saw the Old Testament as the word of God. If anything, Jesus is saying that he is not in the business of bringing something new or bringing something innovative. He is in the business of elevating, explaining, and applying the word of God. That's part of the reason, that's part of the definition of the word fulfill. Jesus is not or was not in the business of getting rid of the law or the prophets. He is in the business of elevating, explaining, and applying the word of God. Now, if we see the Bible in those terms, then we shouldn't make a distinction, a very sharp distinction, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because what Jesus is saying is that if you want to understand the Old Testament, you need the New Testament. And if you want to understand the New Testament, you must understand the Old Testament. I did not come to abolish the law of God, but to fulfill the word of God. He would say something similar in verses 18 and 19. In verse 18, second part, he would, says, he would say that not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will, uh, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, the word accomplished there is a very important word because he's talking about how the word of God came to be and what the word of God does. Let me say it again. Jesus was not interested in creating something new, a new law of God or a new word of God. He just wanted to explain what the word of God is, apply the word of God, and tell us why this is so relevant to us. In verse 19, he actually says that this is the reason why we are not allowed to set aside any of the commandments. What is interesting, though, is that the word commandments there is not talking about the Ten Commandments. He says that we have no permission to set aside any of the commandments that God shows in the Bible. 
And that not only that we don't have permission to not set them aside. Another translation is relax, relax uh, the word of God. But we also have the responsibility to teach others the word of God. Jesus elevates, Jesus explains, and Jesus applies the word of God. He did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Now, let me tell you why I think this is so relevant today. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess here, so please don't be offended if, by what I'm about to say. But, but I think that one of the things that we struggle with in the church, at least from the people I've known, is that we have this tendency to divide the Bible. So for some of us, we, we divide the Bible into law, and other people would divide the Bible into law and grace. And we have the tendency to see the Bible as law in some areas and grace in some other areas. But we are making a distinction that Jesus does not make. When he says that he's fulfilling a scripture, he is saying that the entire Bible is one book, one story, one narrative. Is the story of redemption. It's one story. And if you want to understand either the Old or the New Testament, you have to understand and believe in the other. We, we don't have permission to make that distinction. See, Jesus knows that there's a tendency in the human heart to have preferences. Jesus knows that his audience have the tendency to have preferences. To choose certain parts of a scripture that we love. And to reject other parts of the scripture that we just don't agree with or we just don't like. Maybe, just maybe, some of us have believed something that Mark Twain once said. It ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand. And you know what Jesus is saying here, right? We don't get to choose. We, we get to embrace the entire Bible as it is. We don't, make, we don't get to make a distinction between grace and law, even though they're two different things. They go together. We don't have that permission. We either take the entire Bible as it is, or we have no permission to take it at all. Now, the question is, why is it that we do that? Is there a reason why we find, uh, we find ourselves being attracted to certain parts of the scripture and not others? Well, I, I, I want to say that there might be at least three reasons why some of us might do that. Number one is because we struggle with the concept of authority. This is the thing. If the whole Bible is about God... If the whole Bible is inspiration, is the inspiration of God, then even grace and law comes under the authority of God. And if God is the ultimate authority, we are not. That's the thing. We don't get permission to make a distinction because the entire Bible is the authority of God. And if he is the authority, then I am not. I think that, that might be one of the problems with the postmodern 
culture, one of the characteristics of the postmodern culture is to reject any form of authority. We are part of a culture that says that the highest good is individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression. The problem is that if they read the Bible and God comes with his authority, that authority is a threat to that quote-unquote freedom. This is part of the culture in which we, are, we live now. Actually, when I was thinking about this, um, I was tempted to write a song about it. And you know what I did? I actually wrote one about it. And I'm going to call it, Let It Go. <laughs> Inspiration. You got to listen to this. Let it go, let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go, let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The call never bothered me anyway. You know that that movie and that song made billions of dollars. And I hear both of my daughters walking around my house challenging authority. This is our culture. And as Christians, if you are a Christian, we must submit to the authority of the Bible. We, we don't get to choose. We love the Bible for what it is because the entire Bible is God's word. And if it's God's word, it's God's authority. The second reason why I think that we struggle with this is because we don't understand the nature and the character of the law of God. See, when you read the Bible and you find any other things God says that we ought to do or not do, it never, never comes in negative tones. God's commandments are never negative things. Actually, it's the opposite. God's commandments, God's laws, God's words are meant to protect you and to bless you. This is coming from Genesis chapter 2. God creates Adam and Eve, and he tells them what to do. He calls them to submit to his authority. And if you look at the context, you see that God gave those commands, uh, commandments to Adam and Eve to, for their sake and for the sake of creation. The commandments of God are never punishment it's always things that he requests of us to help us flourish. So even when God tells them to not eat the fruit of the tree, that's not a punishment. He was protecting them. He was blessing them. You got to see that this element of the law of God comes in Genesis chapter 2. Not Genesis chapter 3, where is where we find the fall, when sin comes into the world. So the law of God has never been anything negative. What the devil does to Adam and Eve 
is that he creates something in their mind in which they see God's restrictions as a form of punishment. And he makes them believe that God wants to deprive them from true joy. And I believe that many of us have been affected by that thinking. And I believe that there's so many people that have rejected the Bible, even with the difficult passages, because we have been affected by that, that thinking, a misunderstanding of the character and the nature of God's laws, God's words. God's word is always to protect you and to bless you. It is never a punishment. It's not to keep you from enjoying life. It's so you learn how to enjoy life. And number three, I think that we struggle with this because sometimes we, we fail to see that behind every law, be behind every commandment God makes, we find a manifestation or an expression of the heart of God. So listen to this. If God is good, if he's faithful and powerful and merciful and holy and righteous, then everything he says, everything in the Bible is good, faithful, powerful, merciful, holy, and righteous. There is not one word in the Bible that is a negative word because the entire Bible is inspired by God. It is always good. The word of God reveals God's heart. For us as Christians, if you are a Christian... The Bible is not just a book. It's the foundation of our faith. That's why we read it, meditate on it, memorize it, teach it, and preach it. Because there's nothing else to talk about. The Bible for us is so foundational that it seems like if that's the most important thing that we could talk about, everything else is extra. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't even... That the only conversations we should have is just Bible conversations. What I'm saying is that this is where our foundation is. Now, I want you to listen to Charlie Dates. It's a pastor in the south side of Chicago. Um, it's a pastor that is way more passionate than I am. Now, that should tell you a lot. <laughs> Look at what he says. His word is like his. And since he don't die... His word cannot die. And since he endures, his word endures. The word of God is living. Its predictions are correct. Its judgments are indisputable. Its corrections are timeless. Its assertions are reliable. It's fresher than tomorrow's news. It's more definite than our constitution. It's the backbone of science. It's the foundation of the highest 
philosophy is the inspiration of poets. It's the entrance of music. It will build your faith. It will fight your temptations. It will light your path. It will clarify your decisions. It will feed your soul. It will clean your conscience. Its words are wisdom. Its claims are true. Its hope is eternal. And it has never disappointed. Time cannot age it, and age do not time it. The Word of God is alive, and you ain't never read a book like it. It is the Word of God. If you're going to clap, man, you got to commit to that. (laughs) Can you see how beautiful it is that we have access to the Word of God? It reveals the heart of our Father. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Because he goes from verses 21 to 24, actually, actually to 26. Um, and it seems like if he's changing the topic, it seems like if he's going to talk about something else, because he starts talking about murder and anger. And you might assume that he is changing the topic. But that's not what Jesus is doing. Actually, what Jesus is doing is teaching us how to apply the Word of God to our lives. And he's going to teach us that the Word of God not only reveals God's heart, but it exposes your heart. Point number two. So he uses the phrase, you have heard. And he uses that phrase five times in the sermon. What I find super interesting is that right after he uses the phrase, you have heard, he says, but I tell you. And you got to ask the question, why? Well, this is what Jesus knows. Jesus knows that his audience grew up hearing the word of God. They have been indoctrinated by their religious teachers. They have learned and memorized the word of God. The problem, though, is that the people that taught the Bible to these people had the tendency to add to the Word of God, request or demand things that the Bible would never demand, or subtract from the Word of God, meaning not asking people to do the things that the Bible asked to do. So what Jesus is about to do here is going to teach us how not only to interpret the commandments of God, but to see the spirit behind the laws of God and to see how when we do that, we get to see the reality of our heart. So he starts with the sixth commandment. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now there's something that we must understand about God's commandments first. Every time the Lord tells you not to do something, at the same time, he's calling us to do something different. Every time the Lord tells us to do something, he's calling us to not do something else. So, for example, when Jesus here says, you shall not murder, you shall not kill someone, at the same time, he's calling us to give life. 
is the application and the implication of the commandments that we got to pay attention. Is the application and the implication of everything that God says. So look, so look how Jesus explains that commandment. Because I'm assuming that the people that are hearing this are saying, well, I'm fine. I never killed anybody. I'm righteous. But then he comes to verse 22. But I tell you, Jesus says, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, notice that is the context here of the spiritual family. If anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And if you're like me, you got to be saying like, what? That's crazy. How do you put anger and killing on the same sentence. Oh, but see, this is what Jesus is doing. He's saying that whenever we have the laws of God or the commandments of God, we shouldn't just be paying attention to what the actions are. We should be looking at the, at the attitude of our heart. The laws of God are not just about actions. It's about attitudes. The attitude of your heart toward your brother or sister. So when you are angry, Jesus says, with someone, and you are not willing to deal with that stuff in your heart, it's just as if you were killing them in your heart. Because you are treating them as if they were nothing. Which that's the meaning of the word raka. Empty, nothing. Every time we have anger in our hearts towards somebody and we don't deal with it right, is the same thing like if we are killing them in our hearts. And if we make of them a fool, which means, in my, in my opinion, to, to see someone as less than a human. The reason why I say that is anger treats people as less than humans is because the word fool in the original is the word moron, which sounds very similar to when we call someone a moron. And every time we do that, in our hearts, we're treating someone like if they're less than a human being. And Jesus says, if that's you, you are in danger of the fire of hell. In other words, if that's your lifestyle, Jesus would say, we deserve hell. Now look at the reasoning here, because you got to see it. In order for someone to execute somebody else, in order for someone to kill anybody else, you first have to hate them. And you have to see them as less than a human being. You have to minimize their dignity and value to the point that it becomes a thing. A thing that I could get rid of. And Jesus says, every time you read the commandments of God, don't just focus on the action. Look at the motivation of your heart. 
Look at the attitude of your heart. If you are experiencing anger, Jesus says, and you are not dealing with it, you are treating people as less than human beings, as nothing. No value, no dignity, no importance. Isn't that crazy? That's why the Bible reads your heart. And that's the reason why the Bible is so clear about us as Christians of the church to love one another and be patient with one another and to support one another and to encourage one another and to edify one another. Because when we do that, we are fighting against our heart. And we're actually giving life, not destroying it. Therefore, words of encouragement as a Christian is not an option. Words of actions that words and actions that demonstrate how valuable people are is not an option. Forgiving and asking for forgiveness for the Christian church is not an option. Jesus is so radical about this that he says that if you're struggling with anger in your heart and you're not willing to deal with this, don't bring an offering to him. Go and seek reconciliation first and then bring the offering. Can you imagine if we were to do that as a church? You're going to give your tithing and we say, don't give your tithing. If you're struggling in your heart. But that's the reality of it. So if you are in ministry, if, the goal has, if, if, the, if God has called you to serve in ministry, you got to deal with this stuff in your heart. You cannot give the Lord an offering if you're not dealing with anger in your heart. It's simply unacceptable. In her book, The Hiding Place, Corrie Ten Book, um, which is a lady that experienced awful experience in, a concentration, in concentration camps, and she talks about this, this time in which she has to forgive these men that she knows have executed thousands of people, or at least participated in the execution. And she has such a hard time forgiving him that the Lord literally has to speak to her through somebody else and look at how she find the power, found the power to forgive him. Didn't he, I quote, didn't he and I stand together before an all-seeing God convicted of the same murder? For I had murdered him with my heart and my tongue. Isn't that crazy? We do the same thing. And that should humble us. Because the word of God not only reveals God's heart, but it reveals, it exposes the reality of your heart. And the thing, the thing here is that this gets even more complicated. Because Jesus in verse 20 would say that if our righteousness is greater than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the people that were... Um, faithful supposedly and how to follow the law he says if our righteousness is not greater than them we don't deserve the kingdom of heaven and then we find ourselves in a huge issue because there's not one of us here 
that deserves the kingdom of heaven if we truly pay attention to what God says. To then leads me to point number three. The law of God and the word of God not only reveals God's heart, not only exposes your heart, but it has to point you to Jesus. It has to convince you that you need a savior. Time after time. And we come back here to the word fulfill. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And the word fulfill there must mean these three things. Number one, that because Jesus fulfilled the law means that he lived every single little thing that the Bible demands. He was obedient. He was faithful. He did what he was supposed to do. He did not neglect any of the commandments. He came to do what none of us have ever done. Number two, the word fulfill means that Jesus not only lived the life that no one has lived, but that Jesus paid the penalty, the consequences of the sin we all deserve. That's the reason why Jesus goes to the cross, to fulfill what the law demanded. Jesus died in our place, so we don't have to die. And number three, the word fulfill then, it tells you that the entire Bible, because it's one book, one story, one narrative, and it's the story of redemption, then the entire Bible is about Jesus. The entire Bible is about Jesus. Every story whispers his name. Every hero points to him. Every event, every image, every person points to Jesus or reflects Jesus. It is only when we see the scripture like that, that he fulfilled the scripture with his life, with the cross, and the entire story of redemption is that the Bible becomes alive to us. We learn to love the Bible. We learn to obey the Bible. We learn to share the Bible. Because it is there when we find the author and perfecter of our faith. Every single page in the scripture is about the beautiful person and work of Jesus Christ. And this is why Calvin used to say this. He is Isaac, the beloved son and the beloved son of the father who was offered as a sacrifice, but nevertheless did not succumb to the powers of death. He is Jacob, the watchful shepherd who had such a great care for the sheep which he guards. He is the good and compassionate brother Joseph, who in his glory was not ashamed to acknowledge his brothers, however lowly and object their condition. He is the great sacrificer and bishop Melchizedek, who has offered an eternal sacrifice once for all. He is the sovereign lawgiver Moses, writing his law on the tablets of our hearts by his spirit. He is the faithful captain and guide Joshua to lead us to the promised land. He is the victorious and noble King David, bringing by his hand 
all rebellious power to subjection. He is the magnificent and triumphant King Solomon, governing his kingdom in peace and prosperity. He is the strong and powerful Samson, who by his death has overwhelmed all his enemies. This is what we should, in short, seek in the Holy Scripture, he says. Truly, to know Jesus Christ and the infinite riches that are comprised in him and are offered to us by him from God the Father. Do you see a scripture like that? The word of God reveals God's heart. The word of God exposes your heart. And the word of God points you to Jesus time after time after time. It is only when we embrace the Bible like that that we could live in this world and live different. We don't need to run. We just need a bigger God and a better picture of what the Word of God is. Amen?